From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 160. Today's show is brought to you by PDF Pen from Smile, Blue Apron, Encapsula, and Mac Weldon. My name is Mike Hurley. I'm joined by Jason Snell. Howdy, Jason Snell. Howdy, Mike Hurley. We're in a very busy time right now, I feel like. There's oh, so much boy. stuff going on. We've got an action-packed show today. Uh, we already have things for next week. It's it's a busy, busy time. Yeah, it is. There is so much going on. Uh, we could dive into the details of how we have to schedule these episodes. Nobody cares about that, Jason. But because indeed. it's time for Hashtag Snail Talk. And today's question comes from David. And David says, By now, we know Jason's favorite food, favorite beer, and favorite Star Trek. What is his favorite board game? Uh, childhood Edition is probably Sorry, or as they say in Canada, Sorry. And uh, adult, uh, probably Carcassonne, if that counts as a board game. It's sort of, you have to build a board, but I like that. I like that one. one. It has a board, right? Every time we do family game night, I want to play Carcassonne, and and that's not allowed because we have to play other games too. But yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. If you would like to submit a question to open the show, can be as obviously we have gone over many times basically about anything, just send a tweet out into the world with the hashtag SnellTalk. It goes into a document. I will pick them up, and maybe your question will be asked on a future episode. Thanks to David uh, for that question this week. So should we do some follow-up? Last week's show, uh, we spoke about battery cases a bunch. Um, yes. We were wondering why, if, if induction charging exists and all you have to do is just touch the phone to something, why were there no uh, induction cases that we could find? We couldn't find any for the iPhone. Apple isn't selling one, mm-hmm. even though they stopped selling the battery case that they had. Uh, why are, where are all the induction cases? So a few people sent this in and a guy called Mike was the first person to send it in. Thank you, Mike. To a Samsung page, Samsung make a wireless charging battery pack for the Galaxy S7, and it just looks like a thick phone case. Um, so this is this is it, right? This is the thing that we were looking for. You just drop it in, and you're ready to go. For somehow, some reason, that makes me raise an eyebrow. This is currently $20, uh, <laughs> $70 off on Samsung.com. Uh, maybe people aren't buying it. I don't know. But uh, that is, I think that is an interesting, I, I guess because it's the S7, right? Everybody wants the S8 now. I guess that's what it is, right? Because it's, a, it's an old phone. Right. Um, so that, that would make sense. Uh, it, it sounds like uh, there are there are physics. Th- this may be an example of something that was created because somebody thought this was a good idea, but that there are physics issues. Um, my my understanding is that uh, the transfer is inefficient. You need to have an inverter uh, in order for this to work, and as a result, like you would you would waste uh, it would be bulky, and you would waste a lot of the batteries power in the transfer Mm. and so it's inefficient and the fact that that this is not a common thing suggests that there are lots of really good reasons now apple doing inductive charging suggests that perhaps we will see another uh few companies try to get on this bandwagon even if the products are bad so that's something to watch for right like if there's an inductive charging case that comes out for the iphone 8 or 10 and we look at it and it's like uh, this sounds too good to be true. It may it may well be, and that may be why there aren't so many of them. Um, it's too bad because it's a fun idea, but yeah. I have some late breaking news as well. Uh, Mophie, mm-hmm. they have a product that they're that's on their site right now, but is not ready to be released. It's currently unavailable for the Samsung S8, which is a wireless charging case, 
and this one looks fantastic. I expect it is really tricky though, um, as you say. So I'm I'm interested to see how this how this goes. Uh, they, this is like a brand new thing that they have. So uh, I'm intrigued to see how this ends up working out. So they have like a whole thing called Charge Force. It's like this thing that they're building. Um, but it looks like it's not as simple as you would expect. Like there's this big pack that you have to put onto it. It all looks a little bit uh, complicated, to be honest. But it seems like something that is starting to become more and more of a thing. But it doesn't seem like it is as easy as just putting a case on the phone. Um, like there are some there are some issues with it. So I'll include a link to that in the show notes. But it doesn't. The Mophie one doesn't look as efficient as the Samsung one does. For whatever reason, it doesn't look like Samsung have made one for the S8, so maybe it was just a tricky product to make, as you say. Yeah. Um, I was in an Apple store uh, like a week or two ago, and I heard something really strange, and I, and I don't know about it. So we're going to talk about the iPhone later on today. But I heard I heard one of the Apple store employees say that for the um, for the wireless charging to work. You have to have a specific case for it. Like the old cases won't work, is what they said. Like the, the new cases for the iPhone 8, they've been de- designed so that the power can pass through easily, but that the oh. iPhone 7 cases won't work. I don't know if that's the case, but I heard a, a store employee say that. Hmm. That's the case, you say. Yeah. Interesting. So I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to spread false false facts here but that was just something that i heard and i wondered is this one of those things that apple pl- apple store employees say um like but they don't actually know like i, I wasn't sure but i overheard a conversation right. the phone wasn't out at this point well it certainly could be an issue mm-hmm. right could be an issue that there are either certain materials used in cases that prevent the transfer or you need to put certain materials in a case in order to facilitate the transfer and even then it may be that the that the case reduces the effectiveness or speed or something of the charge i don't I don't know anything yeah. about that, but uh, it's possible. Something we're all going to have to learn, I suppose. So uh, at the end of the show today, we're going to be doing Mike at the Mo- Movies Terminator 2. That's going to be the end of the show. But we had something that we wanted to include as follow-out right now because you put something together uh, for the Blade Runner fans. Yeah, there is a on uh, the Mike at the Movies feed on the Incomparable, theincomparable.com slash Mike. Uh, you can get a new episode that is the... Uh, Blade Runner director's cut. Uh, it is basically our conversation with John Syracuse, and it's preceded by two minutes of new footage, exclusive new footage that is essentially Mike and I, uh, when we were done with the show and stopped recording, he stopped recording. I kept recording, and uh, we talked about Blade Runner for like two minutes. And I said, "Oh, you should put that in the show," and he said, "No." I already stopped recording. So, but that's in there. Yeah. Uh, and I think that fulfills the dream of Blade Runner as a, uh, as a thing that keeps getting revisited with new material. So we did it ourselves and that's in that, that's in that feed. And if you ever want to go back and listen to a Mike at the movies, we, we do them time delayed a little bit, but they mm-hmm. all live there. Just the Mike at the movies parts of the uh, various analog and, and upgrade episodes where Mike talks about movies and occasionally TV shows. Yep. And there is the occasional standalone Mike at the movies episode Indeed. that goes into that feed, yeah. which we don't publish anywhere else. So like, if you look through there, you'll see some additions that I've done in the past. Um, I have two more booked uh, for this year. Mm. So there are going to be at least two more this year um, of episodes that are only uh, in that list. So for example, My Cousin Vinny is in there. 
um, which I spoke about with Tiff and Marco Arment. Um, so that was kind of last year sometime. So yeah, there there are little things that pop in every now and then. Um, and I have two of these with two special guests uh, coming before the end of the year. So you can go subscribe to that, theincomparable.com slash Mike. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy that segment, there's more of it. Yeah, a little more. And uh, I had one piece of follow-out. Uh, somebody emailed me, uh, and they were very nice to do so, about, and it's a listener, about this fellowship program that I think we actually even maybe have mentioned on the show, which is the idea of getting people who are savvy about technology to go to Washington, D.C. on a fellowship for a year and try to get members of Congress um, up to speed on technology and so that we can have better uh, technology legislation and we can have representatives who understand the issues of technology. Um, So it's the Congressional Innovation Fellowship. And this is the last week for applications for next year's fellowships. So um, I think it's pretty cool. We mentioned it because uh, uh, security expert Chris Segoian, who is a former Apple Apple script guy Sal Segovian's nephew actually was one of the uh, he was at the EFF or no he was at the ACLU and then he went to this fellowship um, so you might be upgrade listener you might be somebody who could apply there's a there's a, a stipend for the year um, and you spend a year in Washington DC uh, educating the people in power in the United States about um, about technical technical issues because they need the help and that the whole idea here is to get them up to speed because uh, differences of opinion politically is one thing, but uh, illiteracy essentially of technical issues or simplifying to them to the point where our representatives are making decisions that they, uh, they they shouldn't because they don't understand the issues involved. That is a problem. We need to get them educated. And that's what one of the things that this uh, program does. So applications are open through the 28th and we'll put a link in the show notes for people to check it out. So on today's show, we're going to talk about the uh, the iPhone 8 and the Apple Watch Series 3, of which um, I we both have watches and you have the iPhone as well. So we're going to talk about those and give our kind of thoughts on those products. But as we record today, uh, High Sierra, macOS High Sierra is being released. Um, is there anything... I mean, I didn't even really have this in my topic list at all, Jason, because from, from what I can gather, there kind of isn't really much there. Yeah, that's about it. It is like uh, Snow Leopard in the sense that it's um, it's Snow Leopard, if you want to cast your mind back to 2009, followed Leopard and Apple basically said, well, we're making a lot of improvements under the hood, but there's not a lot for users. And that is High Sierra. High Sierra, uh, a lot of the stuff that they're doing is it's like Metal 2, the new version of Swift um, and VR support. But that's all that's like the highest end uh, currently shipping iMacs and the new iMac Pro and the Mac Pro will benefit from that when it arrives, whenever that is. And you know, and you know, new version of Swift is you know great for compatibility reasons, but it's not something you see. New file system is not something you generally see, although it can actually have some. It's a transition; it can have some impacts. There's questions about how well documented it is for third parties who are dealing with it, and it, and you don't have a choice if you're. Uh, running uh, flash storage only internally on your Mac, it'll get updated to the new file system. Um, There's improvements to photos. Um, 
a lot of it is in, is just compatibility improvements. They make changes on iOS and they want to bring those across. But there are, are very few direct user-facing features in High Sierra to the point where I feel like the smartest thing for most people to do is probably to uh, wait and see and make sure that everything kind of shakes out and there aren't security issues and there aren't disk utility issues and, you know, eventually we live in a world where eventually you're going to have to update because there'll be a critical security issue that doesn't get shipped to Sierra, but gets shipped to high Sierra. Um, and if you're upgrading a relatively recent phone to iOS 11, you're going to need to and you sync with photos and iCloud photo library. You're going to need to turn off the new file formats, the HEVC and HEAF. Um, if you want to see those files on your Mac, because Apple has chosen to not make Sierra compatible with those formats. That's yeah. high Sierra. Yeah, I haven't turned on Heath yet or HEVC because I don't plan on upgrading my Mac for a little bit. So I've I've left those off on my on my current iPhone 7 Plus. Yeah, so it's one of the, you know, I, I guess I would say it is the least compelling update to Mac OS in... those eight years probably um it's not a must update uh you will need to go eventually for compatibility reasons but there's nobody pushing you to do it today and so uh, waiting and seeing might uh, given all the under the hood stuff that's changing and that there's not a lot of direct user benefit on the top that maybe the best thing to do is just wait for a while and and so i'd say this is one of the least compelling updates in the uh in in the near term for users I, i think it'll pay off a lot of this stuff is going to pay off over time to the platform and to features that will come in the future. But as I, you know, I, I once said to a developer who released a paid upgrade to their product that had almost no new features uh, because they spent the last year and a half building all of these incredibly necessary things under the hood to keep the product running and for the future of the product. You know, what I said was, I, you know, I, how do I recommend that people pay for nothing? That's that, you know, and I know it's not really nothing. There's stuff happening underneath. But if you're a user, um, the changes Apple's making now for next year, like that's a very inside baseball Apple thing of Apple changing this stuff for the user. There's no direct benefit. So why? So just don't go. Um, unless you do see a direct benefit for something like wanting the Heath and HEVC stuff to work um, on iCloud Photo Library directly. But um, but there are very limited use cases. I think people who are really heavy users of Photos, um, Photos is the app that changes the most in High Sierra because it's a very, very young app and it has a lot of changes. Um, I'm unclear. I need to check. There's There are a bunch of Safari changes, but Safari... 11, which is the new version, Apple always makes the latest version of Safari available for the two previous OS releases. So you can install Safari 11 on um, Sierra and on... on it's uh, currently available for Sierra. Like, you can get it right now. Yeah, you can get it on Sierra and also El Capitan. Yep. Even if you're two versions back, you can get it. And I think it's got, like, the video autoplay blocking and all that stuff in it. So you don't... If 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 the new Safari is what you want, you can just download it. You don't need to update to High Sierra to get that. So... Again, yeah. So that that's my that's my short version of High Sierra. Maybe we'll talk about it later some other week, but I don't know. Maybe not because there's not a whole lot there, honestly. It's 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 about the future and that's great and it's about compatibility and that's fine, but it doesn't make it one of those things where the day it comes out everybody's going to get some great thing, you know, at their fingertips immediately because that's not what this update is. 
Okay, Jason, let me take our first break of this week's episode, and then we'll move on talking about new hardware. Today's show is brought to you by Mac Weldon. They make the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you're ever going to wear. Mac Weldon is better than what you're wearing right now, unless, of course, you're wearing Mac Weldon. I'm wearing Mac Weldon underwear right now, Jason, because when I was in the U.S. last month, I ordered like eight pairs of Mac Weldon boxer shorts. because You you smuggled them back to the U.K.? I put them under my arm and uh, brought them home with me uh, just because I love their stuff. It's really comfortable. The fabric is beautiful because they use premium fabrics. Uh, the attention to detail is there. They have a very simple shopping experience, which I enjoy. I like all of the designs that they have, and I just feel comfortable in their stuff, which is why I bought more of it. Um, I really, really thoroughly endorse Mag Weldon. Like, it's fantastic. I love all the stuff that I have from them. Um, they are really, really great. They're, Mac Weldon are really, really focused on making sure that you love what you buy from them because they want you to be comfortable. So if for any reason you don't like your first pair, just keep them and they'll refund you, no questions asked. Their whole like refund and return policy thing is like just in general is really good. So the first round of stuff that I ordered from them, I ordered the wrong size uh, and I was able to just send it back to them and they just got the new stuff out for me. It was really, really simple. Like it was no hassle. Um, and I really like that. They provided me with the labels and stuff that I needed. It was really, really simple to do. Mac Weldon also have a line of silver underwear and shirts as well that are naturally antimicrobial. This means that they eliminate odor. This is some really cool space science. Not only do Mac Weldon's underwear, socks, and shirts look good, they perform well too. They're good for working out, going to work, traveling, or for everyday life. Listeners of this show can get 20% off, which is a fantastic discount, by going to MacWeldon.com. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Use the code UPGRADE at checkout, and you will get that great 20% off. Thanks so much to Mac Weldon for their support of this show and Relay FM. So you have the iPhone, iPhones 8? I, I do. I have iPhone 8 Plus and iPhone 8 here. Okay. So did are you, you go to your local Apple store? Where did you get these things from? No, did these you, are review. You these are review, review units from Apple. So you took Thank another you, trip to the, to the spaceship? I did. I took another trip to the... I got my briefing in the, uh, in the, uh, the Apple store. <laughs> oh, Oh, interesting. I guess they have like what is being called the boardroom type thing, like a room in the Apple nope. store. No, okay. This was literal. This is literally. I'm told that there are there are briefing rooms at the Steve Jobs Theater, although it's unclear like sure. what other briefing areas they will uh, they will have. But uh, for this, since the Apple Store isn't open, I was literally just in the oh. Apple Store. They did, gave me an Apple Watch okay. briefing at the Apple Watch table in the Apple Store, and hey, then they nice. gave me an iPhone briefing at the iPhone table at the Apple Store. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah, I guess it makes sense, because I'm thinking, is the store, well, obviously the store isn't open, so it's actually probably a really good environment, because they probably had all the stuff there, right, ready for it to be good to go. So that's actually a pretty cool environment to have a briefing, yeah. is in and amongst the store and the products, uh, the town hall um, town center, town hall. Was it town center or town hall? I forgot. Whatever one it is, that's where you were to get your uh, to get your briefing, to get your products. I'm not sure it was either of those things, but it was. Yeah, it was just their briefing center is where it used mm-hmm. to be. They have a briefing briefing center. So, uh, what devices exactly do you have? What colors are they? Uh, these are white fronts, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it's a silver. And a gold. You have the gold. Okay. Um, again, as always, it's really difficult to ask you these types of questions. But do you have any opinion on the gold color? No. 
No. Okay. <laughs> uh, I, I, I mean, I, I can tell you the, the problem is, is that the gold and rose gold kind of gradation involves a light amounts of red mm. uh, hue that I can't Which see. you can't see. That's such a shame. So, so what I would say is what I've been told, and it seems right, is that there is a well. You know, I can I can see some differences, but it's not. It's a, a level. It seems so subtle to me, and I know it isn't subtle to other people. But um, what I would say is the new gold is neither the old gold or the old rose gold, but yeah, somewhere in between. Somewhere in between. Because yeah, the thing that interests me about that, from all the pictures that I've seen and all the videos I've seen and stuff like that is the back of it like the back of it is this interesting like muted color like it's not white it's not silver and it's not necessarily the same color as the band that goes around the outside like it looks different and i think it looks kind of attractive i, th- I think i really like the way that that looks with the the glass and the, and the slight color that they've got on the on the back of it so i think that's really cool but uh but yeah i i I'll have to go to a store and look at it myself because I understand that you can't provide me with the description that I require no. right now. And there's nothing it, you can it do It is about fair that. to say that that the back is not is not white. Like the there is a color cast to it. It is a much warmer back than the silver white back. Right, the silver white back is more bluey, and there's definitely more of a. It's more of a. Uh, I mean, it's not blue. It's but it's like the uh, feels like a white white or a blue white, mm-hmm. and the other one feels like a really warm white, or you could say it's sort of like taupe or tan or something. There's definitely it's picking up. Um, you know, it's meant to to complement the gold around the the frame of it. So there, it, it's not one white for all. It is a different kind. Do you have any accessories? Uh, I do. I have the, I, I have a charger and I have some cases. When you say a charger, do you mean a wireless charger? Yes, I, I do. Okay, cool. We'll talk about that in a minute then. Um, going back to the look and feel of the device, how does it feel to have a glass back back on the iPhone? How does that feel? It doesn't feel that different to me, but that's because huh. I used the iPhone 7 with the jet black uh, covering. That's good and to the, hear, jet black, the jet black coating is basically the same. The the jet ba- black coating is um, it's got the same feel to me as the glass back. I feel like that was a a preview of at least tactilely what the eight feels like. So if you heard people talk about oh you know there's going to be uh, there I can I can take my case off because that was the case for me is I used a case on the six and the six S and I stopped with the seven because I got the jet black finish. Um, the glass is unlikely to get micro abrasions like the jet black, although I never, the micro abrasions on the jet black did not bother me one bit. Um, but it's less likely to happen on the glass back. But yeah, it's um, it's that feel. It feels very much like that uh, that phone's feel. Um, it was so it was very familiar to me. I, I guess if you're coming from a more, you know, a traditional anodized iPhone 6 or 7, you're going to notice that and it's hard to describe it but it it is it's like the equivalent of of if you put your finger on a piece of glass and you pull and you can feel that the glass is kind of pulling back at your fingertip and it makes it impedes your movement um that's what it feels like it's um and it's the same apparently it's the same glass it's the same oleophobic coating on both sides like they're you know it is a two-sided glass thing but in practice, it feels very much like the the jet black. It's it's definitely more um, tacky. I mean, not like sticky, but like it, it is easier to grip it because it's it's exerting some force on your on your uh, on your hand on your skin. Okay, 
Okay, that's good to hear. I mean, that's kind of what I was hoping because, I mean, I've been I've been very much in the case club for a while. Like I've had cases on my phones since. I mean, I mostly always have, but especially since the six design because it was pretty slippery. Um, but I would ideally not, you know, I I would I think I would actually prefer to not have a case on my phone, and I'm hoping that for the ten. The glass back and all that's going to feel really good because as well that phone looks so good. I kind of don't want to put a case on it. Like it's so yeah. Maybe maybe the glass will be enough. I'm, I'm willing to try it out, but uh, I do know and I have seen many reports that to replace the backs on these is actually pretty expensive um, because the all of the induction stuff is built into the glass on the back. So if you do break it. It's actually pretty expensive to get that replaced, more expensive than it has been to even get screens replaced in the past. So that's something to bear in mind, I think. So having had these phones for a few days now, Jason, what do you think about the design? Uh, I mean, it's 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 an iPhone. Yeah. I, I hate to be so blasé about it, but it's an iPhone. It is... They call it eight, but you know six, seven, eight. It is all of a of a kind. I think it, it's um, the backs obviously are, are are different because they've got the glass back, which also enables the wireless charging. I think the anodized aluminum around the edges is really nice. I think they look great. Um, as somebody who used that jet black iPhone before, it's like, yeah, this is this is good. This is the this is the kind of look and feel that I that I like. I would I would choose the black again because that's my personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that people are, are are sad who are fans of the rose gold, although the, the the gold may may satisfy them. But you know, it is recognizably a um a, a, a an iPhone in the design style that we've had for a few years now. It it doesn't it it, it you could tell. At a glance, if somebody's mm-hmm. using an eight, if they don't have a case on it, right? Because that back is so different. It's distinctive. But yeah, it is a. It is still a flat surface, like the old flat surface, and the shape of it and all is the same. What about the display? Have you noticed anything in there? I mean, it has True Tone in it now. Um, how does this iPhone's display compare? Looks good. Looks really good. I I was um, looking at both models. Um, I haven't done any like head to head. It's very much like my thoughts about the seven and then, and then switching over to the eight and using it, but it, it looks good. The true tone is really nice to have. I would argue the way that I use my phone, I'm less likely to be using my phone when I'm inside at home, which is when the lighting is pretty different and I haven't been like out to a restaurant or something. Um, so I feel like true tone on the iPad first was the right thing to do because I think the iPad is in that context of shifting light. Um, indoor light especially. And it's also probably more of a long-form reading device, which, you know, True Tone really lends itself to, right? Like, there are a lot of reasons that you would put that technology in an iPad first, I think. Uh, yeah, no, I think I think they made the right call there, but it's nice It's nice to see it because it is a, it is a nice feature. Um, for most people, the, um, the, the idea that your white point, you know, it... it the end result is that a lot of light indoors is warmer than uh, than than white points on devices are, and that makes the device seem really harsh and blue and um, glary. And you don't really think about it. it's just like how the screen is until it is uh, compensating for it, which is what it does. And then it looks a lot nicer. Although I'll point out, I mean, 
it's if you've got the white ring around it, you know that that uh, ideally those those work in tandem, right? Because the light is also bouncing off of the white of the frame on the front of the camera or on the front of the device, and so you know what you want is white to be white and not have it be like well this looks this this is yellow and this is blue and why are they mismatched so that's that's the goal and it's it's a it's a good goal to have i i i like it i it's not one of these earth shattering features i would not get an, a new device just for true tone but it's nice um and that's it's a very apple feature in that way which is just sort of like yeah if you're in a room with warm lighting shouldn't the iphone's lighting be warm too and it should it's true that's that's the right call most of the time. And you can turn it off if you don't like it. So these phones feature the A11 Bionic chip. Um, in some of the reviews and stuff that came out in the last week or so, it's been interesting to see that like Apple have admitted to the fact that they're giving them these names purely for marketing purposes now, like the Fusion and the Bionic, because just A and a number doesn't sound good, so they're giving them names, like how you have like Snapdragon or whatever. Um, which I'm fine with, like it doesn't make a difference, but like having a name to it is more uh, evocative from a branding perspective. Now, this phone is monstrously fast, like these bio- A11 Bionic chips, they are monsters, right? Like it's it's unbelievable. You know, there are reports of them being faster, uh, is it single core or multi-core than the current shipping 13-inch MacBook Pro on Geekbench scores? Like, just really, really powerful stuff. You, you've got a you've got a phone that's as powerful as a as a good, uh, not not cheap, good laptop, and that is that's where we are. I think the always the question is, what do you do with it? And the answer right now seems to be things like games and AR mm-hmm. and all of those things, right? And and, and that's good, and it, and it gives room for developers to throw more. Uh, more processing power at things. Obviously, that uh, the Bionic chip is also powering uh, f- specific phone features on the eight and the ten that are, um, you know, doing things like it's like the machine learning and face recognition and things like that on the ten. So um, there's other parts of it, but just like the raw processing power that's available to apps because you've got the six uh, six cores that are accessible simultaneously if need be instead of the switch two switchable cores on the uh, on the fusion uh, in the last generation that uh if it needs to crank things up and bring all the power possible to bear it can do it and it can it can function like you know like a powerful laptop at that point um i i think there's an argument about whether people are actually using that power i'm sure apple is and i'm sure game makers will do it and the apple the apple design gpu is part of this too um but uh I feel like we may have reached the point with smartphones where for general purpose performance, it kind of doesn't matter. Like they're, they're fast. They're going to be fast for a long time. They're fast enough for most things. And it's the specific purpose. And you see this in Apple making their, you know, specific things that are built into the CPU for specific features that uh, that's more of what it's about now is uh, signal processing for for video and and stills and it's uh it's machine learning stuff it's like and the gpu and things for ar and all of the like purpose-built stuff rather than having it just be general purpose performance because it's great on general purpose performance like how i'm not sure i mean again never say never over time in a, on an infinite time scale right you always want a faster device but 
um, it seems like Apple is already shifting to having lots of things that are you know, purpose-built things in the silicon that let them do very specific things a lot faster and enabling those features that they need because they can afford to do that because the base general processing uh, power that's available is so strong that, you know, they they don't, you know, they don't need 100% speed boost next time, right? <laughs> they They don't. They really don't. They probably need speed boost in specific areas instead. I don't know. It's just it just struck me as funny that, um, yeah, it's fast as a MacBook Pro, but but what does that get you? It, very rarely is an iPhone being used to do things that a MacBook Pro is doing when it's stressing itself out. Like very rarely is it encoding video or things like that. It is doing some super stressful things for AR, for example, and that's sort of what you know it's been built for. Yeah, I've noticed playing uh, with some AR apps um, on my current iPhone that it gets hot and it really affects the battery and there are points where like it's struggling to, to do things and I'm assuming that all of this stuff is better on the newer hardware, which is more purpose-built for these types of things, has better chips in them, you know, like I, I'm imagining that it is a better, whilst the experience is great on the current models, it's even better um, on the next ones. Um, and I guess part of that is also in the cameras as well, right? Because there there are things in the cameras which are which are being used to take advantage of this stuff. Um, I wondered if you've noticed anything about the cameras, and if you've had any, you know, if you've been able to play around with the new portrait mode stuff, um, and what your opinions are of these features. Little little bit still early. Um, mm-hmm. The portrait mode stuff is is interesting. I mean, it benefits from. <laughs> it benefits from the right lighting. I mean, that's the irony of it. Is it benefits from the right lighting because there is only so much that the algorithm can do, especially for the uh, the spotlight, right? You need to for it to to be at its best, it needs to be well lit in a certain way and then it can do its magic. But um but it's fun to play with. The I I think the radial UI for the different portrait modes is really weird, especially since the regular camera interface has the swipe to move between modes. So you swipe to move between still and video and portrait, and then you tap on the little cube, and now you're doing this kind of like, it's like moving radially instead. It's like, I'm not sure what... The it just seems weird to me. I'm not... I'm not. Maybe I just need to get used to the interface, but it seems a little bit strange. But the the... The portrait mode stuff is interesting. Again, I think when reality hits what Apple's doing uh, in its promos, you'll find that you want a good shot. And then the good shot of a good subject, then that stuff can really enhance it. But yeah. you need to, you still need to do that. You can't just like pull out your phone and take a picture, you know, in a moment in bad lighting and have it become magically beautiful. It, it's not. It's not that. It, it, it still needs to be composed, and you still need decent lighting. Um, I haven't tested low-light performance yet. I, I shot some video in 4K, 60 frames per second. That was amazing. I watched it on my 4K TV. It looked great. <laughs> um, the video quality is great. Uh, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a good camera. Apple's always pushing forward with cameras, uh, and this is another step forward. I mean, I hate to say it, but so many of the stories of... Um, new iPhones is Apple pushed everything forward another step. And if you're only one step behind, is it a must buy? Probably not. But if you're two steps or three steps behind, then you get all of the steps last year and all the steps this year combined. And that's better. Like my wife is on a six and she's going to get an eight and that's going to be great. 
right? Because she's going to get all the 6S and 7 and 8 improvements all rolled into one. And that's a, that's a massive upgrade. That's amazing. Um, and that's, I think those are more common than people going from the 7 to the 8, where everything is, you know, the increments, it's just, you know, everything's better. But um, rarely is it one of those moments of like, oh my God, I can't believe how much better this is. Because it, it's more just Apple just keeps pushing the ball forward at, relentlessly every year. Matt Panzerino at TechCrunch had a really good uh, review of the phone where he focused on it being a camera primarily. Um, and I put this in the, the show notes because there's one feature that I'm really, really impressed with and looking forward to, which is the performance of the flash. So there is a, a new type of flash technology. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's slow sync flash, yeah. which I always have loved on point and shoots before. Um. And the idea there is it's it's a great feature in certain circumstances it really makes your photos better yeah. and Apple hadn't done it, hasn't done it before and the idea there is you flash the flash but you leave the shutter open longer outside of the flash and it it basically lets you increase the dynamic range of your shot because if you just open the shutter when the flash is illuminating you're going to get that bright foreground that a person in the foreground who's been flashed and because that's a uh it's a small shutter time you're going to get them and they're going to be clear but the background because the background is dark and the shutter was not open very long and the and the flash didn't illuminate the background very well they drop out and and you get you've everybody's seen these photos where it's a flash photo and it's like somebody's in space or right you 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 can't see very much behind them, but they're in relief. The show sl- the slow shutter keeps the shutter open, so the flash goes, but it also is collecting light for longer behind, you know, around that person. The, the darker stuff is more visible, and it can make for great, like, like if you're um, taking a picture of somebody at sunset and the sun's going down, it's pretty dark behind them, but the but the the sunset is there and it's spectacular. If you take a flash photo of them standing in front of the sunset, you get them and no sunset, right? Mm-hmm. But with the with the slow shutter, you get them and the sunset Which because you get the light collected off of them from the flash, but then the shutter stays open and collects more light from the scene behind them mm-hmm. and. Sometimes it looks a little weird, depends on the timing, and I think Apple's probably doing a lot of very clever algorithms to try to make this work better, but um, I've taken some amazing slow shutter shots with my point-and-shoot over the years in those, you know, vacation situations and things like that where you've got a beautiful background, but you've got to light the foreground. So, um, yeah, Panzerina's article is great because it's basically a review of the iPhone 8 as a camera first, which I think is a... I think it's smart. I, I think because that, that the truth of it is one of the most important functions any smartphone has is as a camera. Um, I also noted from from reading stuff around that uh, the iPhone 8 line, and I guess the 10 will be the same, by default, HDR is on and always on, and it doesn't save yes. the other image in your camera anymore. And you can make these changes if you want to. Um but yeah, you and also you can switch this all on in iOS 11 on your current devices. But Apple believes that they've done a good enough job with the HDR now that it will produce a better picture basically every time. Yeah, Apple is confident 
that their HDR mode is going to get you the best picture. So they don't even bother to save the other version. And this has to do, you know, the way the HDR mode works is it's it's bracketing two shots. It's taking a shot that's gap- capturing the dark stuff, and it's taking a shot that's capturing the bright stuff. And then it is using algorithms to merge them together into a single photo that has a wider range. That's what dynamic range is between the bright and the dark. And they've been doing this for a long time. And it, it you know, it started out and it worked sometimes, and then it worked better. Better, and it's worked better over time. And of course, the 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 more data they can collect faster, the less um, risk you have of the HDR shot being weird because uh, in the gap between shot one and shot two, people moved and stuff. Like the faster you make that, the easier it is for this all to get put back together again. And they're they're obviously yeah they're confident enough about this now that and and they want to save space and not have you taking two of everything. They think the HDR picture is good enough that by default it just saves you an HDR picture and that's all you get. Have you had any time to test out wireless charging in any detail? Like what are your opinions of wireless charging? Um, you know, I, I it's funny cause it's going to be a, for people who've been using wireless charging on Android, it's going to be like opinions from five years ago or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, and I'm sure that there'll be a new brand, a new, you know, new set of, uh, of uh, chargers that are made for specifically for Apple because the stuff, that's out there now is obviously like, hey, we've got a cheat charger. Let's 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 use it. I think that's what the two that are out there now. Maybe there will be a new things designed more to fit in with like the look and feel of Apple's stuff. I don't know. Everybody's going to take advantage of the fact that Apple's doing this now. So there'll be new accessories uh, because which is of great. That. But it's great for everyone. Which is it's, it's fine. I'd say um, it's 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 nice uh, you've got i think there are specific use cases where you think i'd much rather lay this thing down on the circle than to plug in the cable that's right next to it um you know the circle still needs still has a wire and that wire still needs to be plugged in somewhere and it doesn't come with like a usb plug it comes with a power plug so if you've got a usb outlet like i do that's not going to work you need to plug it into an outlet and then you've got a cable so like my area that has cables coming from the usb plugs uh on in my wall to where you can plug them in for the phone now there's also a cable running across there from a power plug to this little pad which needs to stay visible um so that i can put my phone onto it so it's not a it's not a miracle it is still just uh you know it's an it's a different wire in a different place but you don't have to plug in the wire you still also have to plug your phone you have to land your phone properly on the circle there's a little light goes on on the on the charger saying that it's charging as well as some interface change on the screen when it says it's charging it's really easy to not lay it down properly and not charge it i did that more than once um, I think it's easy for somebody else to jostle things and have it like uh, come off of the charger and then it's not charging. So, you know, I think I think wireless charging is not a miracle. Oh, my God, everybody's going to love it. Everybody's going to have this everywhere. I think it's very much like how is how do you use your devices? Where do you charge them? When do you charge them? And where are your plugs and all of that to make it, you know, uh, worth the, uh, you know, because what we're really saying is I don't want to have to plug in a cable. I'm not sure that landing an iPhone on a little helipad on your, on your table so that it, and confirming that it's actually charging is less cognitively challenging than plugging in a lightning cable. And the lightning cable is more efficient and more foolproof 
still could be unplugged on the other end. It's possible. It's happened. Um, and uh, so I, I don't know. I, I guess it's a nice option, but I think that you should not, people out there who haven't tried it, don't assume that you're absolutely going to want to do it and it's going to be the best thing ever because I think for some people it will fit their lives and for other people it'll be like, why, you know, why do I have this? Now instead of having a a, a little white cable, now I've got a plastic puck sitting somewhere. And again, the, you know, Will it be better if it's like a little mat in your car or it's a, you know, something that looks, doesn't look like a, a, a plastic, a shiny plastic disc, but it's, it's more subtle and all that. Sure. There are lots of different scenarios. There are lots of different ways that this could work better. But, um, but you know, my initial response is it's cool and all, but I'm not sure I would choose it over just, I, I think plugging in my phone is fine. Honestly, having used it for a few days, it's like, it's novel to land it on the little puck. But I, I, you know, it's, it seems more foolproof and not any harder to just plug in a lightning cable at that point. When Phil Schiller introduced the air power thing on stage, he specifically called out travel as a thing. Like when you go traveling, you don't want all the cables. I could see myself wanting to have the air power thing for travel, right? So I just have this one thing that I put on the nightstand wherever I go and it charges everything. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I really want this at home because I have some really nice docks that I use. I use the Studio Neat docks and I like them. I like them because they stand everything up and they keep it all in place. And I don't yeah. know if the wireless charging for those reasons is going to be that helpful to me because then I'm still going to need two things, right? Because I can't wirelessly charge my Apple Watch. So I'm going to need something for that for now. So yeah, I'd, I feel like it's good that it's there as an option now, but I'm also pleased that they didn't take away the lightning connector. <laughs> This. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I don't think you can. I, 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 there was a, I've heard a couple podcasts speculate about like, well, you know, is it only a matter of time before the lightning connector goes? Like, I don't think so. I think you got to have one way into these devices. I think that the Apple Watch shows that it's everything gets way more dangerous when you lose all connection to the outside world because it's much more easy to to brick something and not get it back. Um, it's the reason there's no public beta for watchOS, right? Because there's no way to just plug it in somewhere and reset mm-hmm. it. If it dies, it's dead, and you've got to take it into the Apple Store basically at that point. So I, I'm skeptical about that. It's a it's a nice feature, and over time, yeah, if there are cheap related things everywhere like the car is a good example where if there's a place if i can you know there's a place where i can lay my phone naturally in the car that i would anyway and it just everything magically happens i guess that's great um if if the if a hotel room has something like this i think that would be great coffee uh, shops but, yeah. you know all those yeah, things sure. you know it's, it's, sure. it's good for that stuff i think honestly i think wireless charging is more convenient outside of the home um and and so yeah because the the, the good part about it is you don't need to give everybody a different cable, right? Like that's the idea is everybody uses the same standard and that is a better situation than the one that we currently have where you need to have cables or bring your own cable. The idea of anyone be able to put their phone, you know, whether you have a Samsung or an LG or an iPhone and you just put it down in one place and it starts to charge, like that's great. That's great for everybody. But in the home, maybe not so much. So I'm assuming that you're going to be using the, the regular size 8 until the 10 comes out. Would I be right in assuming that? Yeah, I think so. I, I, so 
I had the same thought about I've got a little bit of time here. Maybe I maybe I spend more time with the plus model. Um, the camera is great. The second I you know I I took it to the uh, the football game on Saturday and took some pictures with it. It looks great. The camera is so nice. The having the telephoto lens is is fantastic. Um, but I, I think for me, bottom line, I use my phone one handed most of the time. And I can't use that plus one handed. I, I just can't. That. It's yep. it's too. It's just too big. Mm-hmm. And so the plus the plus size is not ever going to work for me. It's just it's never going to work for me because of the way that I use the benefit that I would gain. Because I thought about it also because of the Apple Watch, right? Like if you've got a cellular Apple Watch, you don't need to take your phone everywhere. You don't need to take your phone running. You don't need to do any of those things. So you could have a huge phone. Because you're you, in in times when you need ultra portability, you just don't bring your phone and you just bring your Apple Watch. I thought about that, but then in the end, it came back down to it's not comfortable in my hand. I can't reach things on the screen. It makes me have to use the other hand in order to do stuff because, um, and I don't like that. That's not how I use my phone. My iPhone is is largely something I hold in my left hand and uh, do interface stuff with my thumb most of the time. And then occasionally, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll change hand positions to type something or all of that. But it's a lot of it is just scanning things in, in one hand and, um, and I can't hold the, the plus comfortably. And it, and it hurts me because the screen is beautiful and that, um, camera is beautiful. But the good news is Apple is also going to make a phone <laughs> that's sized more like the iPhone eight and has both cameras. So that, how about that? So that that's is, uh, that's, that's what I'm hearing, but well, here's, so it, you've well, actually, it's not, not yet. Not you're yet. leading this quite nicely towards the end of the discussion here, which is the poor fate of the iPhone 8. This is, I think, a much bigger jump phone to phone than the 7 was to the 7S, maybe even the 6S to the 7 in some instances. Like the amount of features, the change in design, the change in materials, it's a really good update. Like I think it it is giving the customer more, especially than the uh, the seven did, um, and, and the seven S. Uh, sorry, the seven did. We didn't have a seven S, uh, did we? No, we didn't have a seven S. No, we didn't have a seven S. Oh my gosh, the eight, the the eight is the seven S. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So I'll rephrase that. From the six S to the seven, I think that the seven to the eight is a much much better upgrade. But it is getting completely overshadowed by the fact that the 10 is coming. And and I feel sorry yeah. for the iPhone 8 because I wished that this was the phone that I got for the, my previous generation. Because I remain that, like, my 7's fine, but I don't really feel like I got that much out of it. You know, I lost things. You know, like I lost the headphone jack and I lost the, the 100% reliable home button. Uh, with no reason really for why that came out. Don't at me. There's no reason. Uh, and I think that the 8 is great. Like, there is a lot of really interesting things in this phone, but the 10 is just around the corner, and it's like this huge X that it is, like, shadowing over the 8 <laughs> is how I imagine it, right? And it's just there's nothing that can happen. Every review but- talks about the 10. 
Yeah, but a lot of people, for a lot of people, the ten is not the phone for them, right? There, there are. Well, this I, is my I do point, believe, right? Like, it, this is a great phone, but it just keeps getting overshadowed, and it's a shame because well, I mean, I've seen so many of my friends buy the eight, and they're super happy with it, which I'm really pleased about because this is a this is a great phone that exists for people that don't want or can't afford or have no interest in the other one. Yeah, I um, I feel like the people who buy a new iPhone every year. Um, there. What we're gonna do is we're gonna see a split in the market of people who buy the latest and absolutely greatest from Apple, and people who just want an iPhone update. And the fact is, if before when the seven came out, like there were people upgrading from the six S who want the latest and greatest, and there were people upgrading from the six and the five S and the five who just want a new iPhone, and this is the latest iPhone, so they'll get it. And some of them might even have chosen the 6S at that point from the 5 um, and, and save a little bit of money, right? That, that was always there. What the existence of the 10 does is create this extra option. And my suspicion is that everybody who is on the every year phone, I want the latest and greatest, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Apple, all of these things, they're going to be lining up for that 10. But if you're coming from, like my wife, if you're coming from the 6 or the 6S, and you look at the 8, like, the 8 is great. It's a great update. And the 10 is new and expensive and, you know, unlike anything they've seen before. And some of those people will probably be like, yeah, no, let's do it. I'm all in. But, I, and I think this leads to why this the, the 8 is less exciting, is the 8 is less exciting because it's slotting into a price category. It is the next generation of the last four years of phones. And it slots in at... at at its point in the price hierarchy with a couple of phones below it and now one above it. Mm-hmm. And that means that it is reliable and a, a and a strong update and will sell a lot to people who are upgrading from phones made two, three, four years ago and will be profitable for Apple. But what it's not going to have is the excitement of the brand new mm-hmm. or the any specialness of it being at the top of the line. Yeah. And I think that's okay, but it's also just a fact. Like it's just a fact that it's it's not. Um, it it never got well. I got it got half an hour in the keynote where it was the king of the castle, and we all knew that the ten was coming anyway, right? So it, it, it's just, um, it's just a solid product that iterates on the previous generations and that will sell a lot of them and make a lot of money for Apple at that price point. But it's not the best iphone right and it's never going to be i I do think that there is i mean i agree with you mostly i I do think that there is a little bit of a split which if of the people that want the latest and greatest that just don't want the 10 for whatever reason you know and in a way that it hasn't been before you know I, i feel like the latest and greatest crowd has always just bought the latest and greatest but now there is a a split between like latest and preferred Right, which is maybe different to how it has been before, um, but I do agree that I think that the majority of people that have wanted to get the new phone every year will wait for the ten. But that there are there is like a a, a group which is significant enough, which is like I, for whatever reason, design, price, whatever it is that that, that are staying away from the ten for now. 
but yeah, the uh, yeah. the the eight that eight line is very attractive. It's a very good looking good looking phone. From I th- I think it looks nice. I think the design is nice. I think it's just a a nice advancement of that. Um, and also the the technology and it looks good too. So I, I, you definitely are not losing if you get one of those things. I think. Today's show is brought to you by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service with the freshest ingredients. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system. They set the highest standards for ingredients whilst building a community of home chefs at the same time. And they do this by offering lovely meals, beautiful meals that can be cooked at home in 40 minutes or less with fresh, high-quality ingredients for less than $10 per meal. Every Blue Apron meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients. And by shipping just the right amount that's needed, not only is it super easy for you to put together, it's also reducing food waste as well. Blue Apron has a freshness guarantee on their ingredients. They promise that every ingredient arrives ready to cook or they will make it right. You can choose from a variety of recipes every week or let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. You'll be able to cook meals like skillet vegetable chili with cornmeal and cheddar drop biscuits, Garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad and roasted purple tomatoes. Or maybe even summer vegetable and egg paninis with Calabrian chili mayonnaise and caprese salad. Sounds Mm -hmm. lovely, right? You can cook Mm -hmm. all this wonderful food at home. Not only will you be putting these lovely meals onto your table, you'll also be learning the skills that you need to cook more and more at home, which is just a, a lovely side effect. Of, of using Blue Apron. There's no weekly commitment. You get those deliveries when you want them. You can check out this week's menu and get three meals for free with your first purchase, including free shipping, just by going to blueapron.com slash upgrade. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So get started today by going to blueapron.com slash upgrade. We'd like to thank Blue Apron for their support of this show, Blue Apron, a better way to cook. So the Apple Watch Series 3 um, I think we'll start off because we both got them. We both have opinions on them, I'm sure. But uh, there's been a lot of mixed reviews for this device, which has been really interesting. And it all seems to come down to the connectivity. Um, there's been lots of positive reviews and some negative reviews as well in a, in a way that's interesting for Apple products. I, I don't think you really see negativity as such, like as in this doesn't work. But there's been a bunch yeah. of those um, to the point that Apple uh, have released some statements um, saying that there are some issues with the LTE Apple Watch, which has kind of actually been an issue with the Apple Watch in general since it's since it came around, but they've never really been surfaced uh, on at scale since the LTE Watch. Effectively, what's happening is the Apple Watch is trying to connect to open Wi-Fi networks that you need to enter passwords for. So you, know, you go like to Starbucks and you connect to Starbucks and it pops up on your phone or your tablet or your Mac or whatever. Hey, put this password in or press this button and you can connect. Well, obviously, the Apple Watch with no browser, no interface for that, cannot connect to these. So the device believes it's connected to Wi-Fi because it connects to a network, but it has no internet connection. And the reason this yep. is coming up more is because to save battery the Series 3 Apple Watch will connect to Wi-Fi as much as it can when the phone's not around. Well, the point yeah. of this device is the phone shouldn't be around. <laughs> yeah, and this is, uh, you know, the existing Apple Watch would do that, the previous ones. Uh, if if you're on a previously joined Wi-Fi network, it would, you're at the supermarket or something, and, and it's not cellular, 
but it sees a Wi-Fi network it recognizes, it would try to get on it, right? Because then it can get data and it can update your stuff. And that's great. Um, but th- obviously something happened in watchOS 4 that um, caused this to happen in networks that it hadn't successfully connected to before with captive portals that it can't possibly log into. And then it would just sit there on the dead Wi-Fi and that meant your phone. I mean, I've had that happen with other devices too, right? I had that happen with a Nintendo Switch at a hotel where it was a captive portal and the Switch's web UI, which it does have, but sometimes on some corporate Wi-Fi networks or hotel Wi-Fi networks, it won't slide up the login panel no matter what you do, and you just can't get on that Wi-Fi network. It's just impossible. And, and and it's a little bit like that here, where it just, you know, there's nothing that the the watch can do at that point, and it's not smart enough to say either don't connect there or um, I need to not be, I can't get an internet connection on the Wi-Fi, so I'm going to bail back to cellular. And Apple said they're going to do a software update, but that's on Apple. Um, it, it's... I experienced some issues with with the Apple Watch too. I have the Apple Watch Series Three with cellular, and it definitely feels like there are software. It feels to me like in certain circumstances, and once everything is set up and running, that it works pretty well. Um, the problem is what people found about the Wi-Fi, where they said the cellular didn't work. It's not really accurate. What was happening is that it was connecting to Wi-Fi networks it shouldn't be. Um, when I'm not near any of those, I, I haven't seen that feature at all, but when I'm not near Wi-Fi or something, cellular works great. I had an issue where I set up the watch. The next day, I went out on a bike ride with just the watch, listening to music. And it worked pretty well. And then it rebooted. Like Apple huh. Apple logo on yeah. the screen. Yeah, so this is a thing that you're going to notice more. <laughs> ding, ding on in my ear pods, in my AirPods as like, oh, I've lost the connection and the watch is gone and the music stopped. Mm-hmm. And then I got it going again and it did it again. So I have noticed with my Series 2 that the, every now and then I'll catch the Apple logo. The watch seems to reboot quite frequently, <laughs> but you maybe don't notice it. I had a workout going, and when mm-hmm. it, when the phone came back after the reboot, or who knows if it's a full reboot or if it's losing Spring the UI and whatever it's doing, whatever is happening, but it's showing the Apple logo. And in fact, it was showing the dim Apple logo. Then then the brightness comes up, and then it comes back. But the workout con- timing continued. Like, oh yeah, no, you've been working out this whole time. I've totally been paying attention to you. I'm not sure that it actually had, but it kept going, so I might have missed it. And except that my music stopped, and the fu- and the the. Uh, AirPods depaired with or, or disconnected from the device. And so that was something. Um, I also had a case where uh, Bluetooth just disconnected my uh, my AirPods spontaneously. So that yep. was not good. Mm-hmm. And then the weird thing is then I came home and, and I noticed also that my bike, uh, the bike computer, you know, the, on the workout wasn't measuring distance or speed, which doesn't make any sense, right? And I get home and keep in mind, this is 24 hours after I set this thing up. And I get a flurry of um, permission requests where it's like, I would like to track your location. Uh, the the activity app would like to track your location. The, the weather app would like to track your location. Oh, I also noticed that the weather app thought that I was in Salt Lake City, which is super weird, um, where I was mo- a month ago. Um, so it's it feels to me like the watch got stuck 
in after being set up and it wasn't it was an, it's a new watch so it came with watch os 4 after it, it got set up and restored my data and all of that it got stuck in a weird place where it should have been asking for for permissions for location and stuff like that but it didn't it got stuck and i wonder if that might have actually had something to do with the reboots is that it was in a mm. weird state where mm-hmm. it was restored but it wasn't restored all the way um I can theorize it about all I like. The, the fact is I went out for a, a workout with listening to music and it, it failed me three times, twice by rebooting. Since that, since that got unstuck and it asked me all the locations, uh, permissions, all the data, all the, uh, everything's been fine. All the data has been right. The locations have been right. The activity data measures distance and I haven't had a reboot. Um, which is why I'm saying like, I wonder if this is one of those issues where they really tested the watch in use, but didn't test it quite as much in setting up from zero and migrating from a backup. Hmm. Okay. So maybe it gets better over time. Right. So that's, that's just a theory. Cause I haven't seen those behaviors since then, but let me tell you, if I had had to write a review after workout number one with a new Apple watch, it would not have been good because it was like useless. It was rebooting and, completely unstable and and yet since then it's been fine so that's my gut feeling is that they've got bugs and they've got stuff that they didn't adequately test and the reason they thought that it was fine is probably because the stuff that they were looking for was while it was all set up and going and not maybe the onboarding process but so i don't know i've got more to report i've got more you know more times i need to take it out on untethered i've done that a few times i love being able to do that but you got to rely on it in those cases and you can't have it. If, if this thing is sold as we preloaded your music, you can listen to your Apple music on your AirPods and record your workout. So go do that and you'll still be in touch. And I called Stephen Hackett at one point during that too. Mm-hmm. And that worked. Um, great. If I try that and it fails multiple times, that's not so great. So I need to try it some more. But the initial, um, I think it was in some kind of messed up state. And that's on Apple. I think this is just, it's not doing... There are bugs happening in the setup. Sure, there that are. seems to be the case. Yeah, that's that's a definite, right? There are, there are going to be bugs with this product. It's a new thing. It's a, it's a weirdly uh, difficult thing, I'm sure, to to try and make this thing work. But in regards to the the Wi-Fi issue, the connectivity issue that some reviewers were seeing, Apple released a statement and they were like, "We know this is a problem, and we're going to try and fix it in a software update later." It seems like a lot of these problems came to light once it was starting to be reviewed. Um, because there were maybe people in high traffic areas like in New York City where a lot of these publications are or or like in downtown San Francisco where there are a lot of open Wi-Fi networks that need these, like these captive networks they're called where you have to do something and it's starting to see these problems. So now Apple needs to try and fix this and uh, I don't know how they're going to do it and it's going to be interesting to see how they do it. I think think they already had this behavior and then it isn't working in watchOS 4 because the whole idea is that if you can't, if the, if the, if the watch hasn't connected before to that network and it appears open, but it can't get, you know, it can't get data out, then it needs to just be like, nope, I can't do that and move on. And it isn't. Mm -hmm. So they should be able to fix this. And I, like I said, I think they have code that already addresses this that's in watchOS three and something happened and it's not working right in watch os 4 so i'm hopeful that this will be a pretty easy fix but yeah whoops ouch um that that said there's a lot you know 
there's a lot I like about it. You've got you've got one too, right? Yeah, I do. I got mine on Saturday. Yeah. So there's a lot there's a lot I like about it now that Me it's too. up and running, but it was a rocky setup process. So I will say that I was actually impressed with the general setup flow. Right, like I know that you have problems like initially. Oh, totally. But the actual setup of the product itself was one of the nicest that I've used in a while. So let's let's uh, one of our episodes that got a lot of acclaim a couple of years ago was when we talked about the upgrade experience, right? Mm-hmm. And we really kind of ripped into Apple about how setting up an Apple TV was hard. Setting up a new iPhone is hard. Getting a new iPhone should be one of the happier days of your year, right? It's like, yay, new stuff to play with. This is awesome. Hooray. And instead you get frustrated because it's like taking forever and it's confused about what apps it can download and apps st- downloads stall out and, and you have to enter in your password a million times and approve a bunch of different screens. And we really rightfully, I think, gave Apple a lot of stick about that. Um, they are way better at it now than they used to be. If you if you had an iPhone running iOS 11 and you updated to a new iPhone this time, so you updated your old iPhone to 11 and then you bought a new iPhone, you get to use their new transfer technology, which is very much like the Apple Watch setup where you take a picture of the screen of one from the other, you put in your passcode, a whole bunch of your data comes over automatically, and it dramatically reduces the amount of time you spend fiddling with uh, settings on your new phone. There's still some you know, stuff you got to re-input and authorize and all of that, but it's so much better than it was before. The Apple Watch onboarding, similarly, it, you know, they did a very good job. There was not a lot of fiddling I had to do, not a lot of messing around with details because it restored from a backup that was my other Apple Watch. And, you know, it, it, the you know I had issues later where it seemed to get in a weird state, but the actual walkthrough was fine. And the Apple TV 4K, because I got one of those this weekend too, that's, again, same deal. They have the, you know, bring a, bring a phone near it and... Uh, and that they had that, I think last year too. Um, and it copies off a bunch of the settings so I don't have to deal with it anymore. So in all of these cases, Apple has done a lot better on the onboarding than they had two or three years ago. And, and we deserve, they deserve our, um, our, our appreciation for that. Like they have made a lot of strides there because that was an area that needed a lot of help and they've done a pretty good job, especially on the iPhone. But, um, the Apple watch is a good example too. So fair, fair, I think for us to, to mention that. Yeah. Like I really liked that. All I did was I, uh, had my Apple watch. I took it out of the box. I turned it on and cause my phone was close by. It was like, do you want to set this up? I was like, Yep. Yeah, I do. <laughs> like, thanks. And the backup had already been completed from the previous watch, so it was already there. Um, something that I was blown away by, right? I'm setting up Apple Pay, um, and I ask for them to text me a code, my bank to text me a code. The text comes through. The code that was in the text was automatically pre-filled when the text came in. So there's something yep. going on with machine learning, I'm sure, that read the text message and put the code in for me I was like, "Oh yes. my god, this is amazing!" That that uh, yeah, it does that sometimes when it knows that it's sending, it's receiving its own um, verification code. It just knows, "Oh, that's mine," and it takes it. And then mm-hmm. I really liked that they've added this. Uh, I assume this is an OS Watch OS four thing, 
when the watch is setting up, because it takes some time, right? Like it's got that spinning thing, like and it's filling up. There was this new kind of like Apple Watch Basics guides thing, which teaches you about what they call to press firmly on the screen. So it's not called 3D touch or force touch. Like it's just press firmly for more options. It tells you about the digital crown and a side button. It just explains what they do. So you can actually do something while the watch is doing whatever it's doing. Um, I assume it's back, it's like restoring from the cloud is what it's doing. Um, for the LTE stuff, I was really surprised about this. I get six months of unlimited data for free with EE. And then it's £5 a month for 10 gigabytes of data on my watch after that. But I'm on no contract with them. It's a 30-day rolling contract. Oh. So I can cancel it whenever I want. Mm-hmm. But six months for free is pretty nice. I don't know if this is the same for everybody. I think it is. But like, I was really, really pleased about that. Um, it, actually, sorry, it is the same. I, I looked it up. Yeah, it is the same for it's everyone. Better deal than in the US where it's Much better. $10, Much $10 better. a month. Although it's part of my pool. So it's part of, part of my data pool. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have any specific data limitations although apple is trying very hard to reduce how much data it uses i think more for power consumption reasons than anything Mm -hmm. where it is aggressively like looking at your if you if you use apple music it is aggressively looking at your apple music like things that you play a lot playlists you play a lot the um, algorithmically generated playlist that apple music does based on your preferences and it is automatically syncing those overnight when your watch is charging um, because it wants to preload as much data as it can so that you don't have to use uh, data. Not, not for the data caps so much as because that cellular radio obviously drains the, drains the battery dramatically. So they're yeah. trying to be very aggressive about having it not use very much data. And you can't really use a lot of that storage for much anyway. So why not fill it up with music and purge it right. if something's needed? Um, exactly. I tried like you. I sent text messages. I made some calls. Um, in my home, I have one bar of coverage. Like, but this is normal. Like, I don't get great cell reception in my house, but it was able to do it all. Um, I went outside and it was fine. The speaker's much louder. Like, everything was fine with that. Like, I don't. I haven't done like extensive testing in central London, and I will do that and I will try it and I will report back if it's a problem. Uh, but what I've had so far was great. I just threw my iPhone into. Uh, Airplane mode, I confirmed that it wasn't connected to Wi-Fi, but, you know, because you can scroll up and I could see it had the little dots indicators for the cell stuff, and it was working great. Mm-hmm. Um, I did test a bunch of third-party apps, stuff like Fantastical, Jew, Carrotware, Airmail. None of these apps could get any data over LTE. They were all asking, to where's the phone, right? So I thought, I wondered what was going on here and if there was something that could be done. So I uh, spoke to our good friend, uh, underscore David Smith, because I know he has a lot of knowledge of working on watch development. And I asked him, like, what is the situation here? So he kind of said to me that, like, the way that the watch apps have been done before and the past, as we know, is they've always needed the phone to piggyback on for any kind of information. So they just look for that. So all of the watch apps that we have, they're looking for the phone because that's how they're developed. But it doesn't need to be this way. So it is possible to have watch apps talk to data in the cloud, talk to servers, but this isn't something that anybody's done previously because it wasn't required. The phone always had to be there. So, mm. I could, I, well, this I is mean, a, well, okay. So this is a quote from Underscore. He said, "To make a watch app work well on its own, it has to be treated like a peer of the phone app and sync directly to the server rather than just leeching on the phone's data." So yes. it is possible to do stuff 
to talk to a server. Like so, something like Fantastical could pull from a server, but it takes a lot of work, and this will take work from developers that they haven't needed to do before. And I'm keen to see if this is something that people are going to put effort into. So, WatchOS three let the watch independently connect to Wi-Fi networks without the phone around. Mm-hmm. And developers were told at the time, like, you can use this feature. I think the 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 right way to say it would be to say that was such a rare use case that there there was no reason to completely rebuild a watch mm-hmm. app to operate independently for the circumstance where you happen to be on an open Wi-Fi network with only your watch and your and your phone not around, right? Yeah. Whereas now with the cellular, the use case is dramatically expanded. And which is why, um, so it's not as if developers couldn't have done this last year. It's more that they had no no good reason to. Yeah, and the I, cellular I capability gives that. them a reason I, to. I may not have uh, phrased it very well, but it's more just the case of like, it is possible to talk to the cloud, but apps don't do it because there hasn't been a requirement. But it well, will and because work. initially the only way these apps worked is by talking to their buddy on the iPhone, right? And now, you know, now things have advanced to the point where, but you can see, I mean, uh, to people out there, what Mike said uh, really makes sense if you think about it this way: that that you have to re envision your watch app to be more independent and behave as like an app instead of just behaving as uh, a client that sucks data out of the iPhone app that goes with it. Um, and that's a big, that's like a big shift in, if, you, if you're Fantastic Hell is a good example, like there's a big difference between asking your buddy app, give me calendar data and saying, I need to connect to Google Calendar and pull down the data directly from Google Calendar. It's a, it's a, I'm not saying that that's necessarily what Fantastic Hell is, is doing, but it's, it's, it's a big paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. And uh, the watchOS 3 stuff with Wi-Fi, I think was clearly a, suggestion by apple that this is where the watch platform was going but again how many people were doing that versus now where people are going to have these cellular watches and are being encouraged to leave their iphones behind makes a big difference yeah in my experience none of the third-party apps that i use could work without the without the phone being attached to it yeah so i think it's going to be interesting to see what happens here because there is more of a use case than ever for developers to do this but are they going to like is this time investment going to be worth it for their watch apps? I think it's going to be a case of waiting and seeing. Um, I think their Siri is good. Siri works good. It speaks back. The voice sounds good. Um, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to use Siri any more than I used it before for my watch, which is basically I'm probably not going to do it. Um, but it's there if I need it, and it's better. Mm-hmm. General performance feels much nicer. feels way snappier. Um, some animations, so like, you know, every now and then I get a notification and I'll dismiss the animation on it. I'd like, I'll dismiss it. Like, the animation on that dismiss is much smoother and I'm noticing that when I'm, when I'm seeing it. Um, what do you think of the red dot on the crown? Not a fan. Okay. You have the, you have the space gray like me, I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Yeah, because yeah, that's what we both had before. I have it too. Yep. Um, I don't love it. I don't hate it, but like I would prefer it if it wasn't that way, but I'm not kind of tripping over myself to get a sticker to put on it, right? Like I'm 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 fine with it because I actually don't see it most of the time. Um, the crown's click feels different to me though. I, I'm noticing that the, the the clickiness of the crown feels different. Um, but yeah, I, I I think I'm with you in that. Like I don't love the red, but I'm I don't know if like you know if how you feel like would you want to cover it up? But like it doesn't bother me that much. I bought some stickers. You did? 
Okay, interesting. I want to know what they're like. If you find any that you like, let us know on a future episode so we can include links in the show notes if, right. you, if you're happy with them. Um, this this watch has more uh, heart rate sensing stuff, and I know this is something that you were frustrated about. We've spoken about it over the last couple of weeks. Do you have any any tales of heart rate monitoring? Uh, only that I w- went to the the uh, football game on Saturday, and there was a particularly exciting part where we were standing, <laughs> we were shouting and standing and cheering. <laughs> And I got a, I got my first heart rate alert that said, you seem to have an elevated heart rate while not doing a workout. And I was like, well, yeah, I'm at a football game shouting and it's really exciting. And I was like, all right, fair enough. Like, yes, I'm not surprised my heart rate is elevated here. There's a reason for it. It's fine. But it was a funny moment to have that be my moment of, uh, of elevated heart rate. And accurate. Totally accurate. Yeah, I don't do anything. So I haven't got one yet. <laughs> yeah, uh, you haven't, haven't uh, well, just wait for it. I'm happy with this device in general. Um, I like it for all of the things that I liked about the Series 2, right? Like it's faster, it's uh, more capable. The battery life feels exactly the same to me because I never had any problems with battery life anyway. Um, And I'm I'm keen to see how over time, if and how attitudes of mine will change towards my phone and my watch and how they work in conjunction and apart like i i think that this is a long-term thing to see if this is something that i pay attention to um i'm keen to see how that is over time Mm -hmm. but i think this is something that's going to take time to to realize and one of those things for me is that i hope that third-party apps uh will integrate to work better with the fact that they can connect on their own independently now um, and I hope that that's something that we start to see more of over time because that would that would really make it good for me because there's a few apps that I use a lot on my Apple Watch and I would want to be able to keep using them when I'm outside of the home. Uh, and I hope that a lot of that stuff gets addressed. Like, for example, um, Overcast. I want Overcast. And Marco wrote a blog post last night, which I'll just include in the show notes, uh, which just talks about all of the things that he would need to, to be able to build a good Overcast client. And uh, it feels like more than is going to come before WatchOS 5 uh if within the next couple of years it seems like a lot of stuff uh so i hope that these things can be addressed because i think that this is a great device with a lot of promise but it it's a version one and it feels like that and that's fine but i want to see more as time goes on well i think most importantly it's very clear that the hardware hardware pace has now outstripped the software pace which is good though i mean yeah because i i I agree with you completely and i think that's good but i want to see the software catch up now i mean i'm happy to see that the hardware is is pushing forward at a good clip but i want to see the software support going in tandem now yeah well i mean and and it does speak the hardware as nice as this is like if the promise of cellular is not fulfilled because the apps can't do what they need to do and marco you know, Marco's got one particular use case he's looking for, but boy, you know, when you hear him talk about what, or him and David uh, on Under the Radar talk about what they can't do and all the hoops they have to go through and wh- how little they're able to access in watchOS, um, it, it, it starts to feel like the, you know, the, all the promise, with all the promise of the Apple Watch cellular unless you're apple and you've built it into watch os basically it's not delivered and you know they can do more like we said to make the apps access data better but 
it 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 listening to developers it sounds like this is on apple that watch os is just not good enough for these apps to do what they need to do to take advantage of the hardware and that means you know that lessens the impact of the hardware that makes it less likely that it's worth it for you to get an apple watch with cellular right now because outside of the stuff that's on the device the third party app stuff is not that great a situation right now mm-hmm. and and like the podcast is a perfect example uh marco's trying desperately to find a way to play podcasts on watch os and uh, on cellular and can't really do it and apple despite having the podcast app on ios has shown no desire to do it either. So if you listen to podcasts while you run, the cellular watch won't help you. And so you won't buy one. And so that's on Apple. Like Apple needs to um, fix up its developer story on watchOS. And it's a shame that the reality is that probably we're going to have to wait a year for that to happen. It'll be a whole year until watchOS 5 comes out that maybe addresses some of this. Maybe. That's too bad. All right, it's time for Ask Upgrade, hashtag Ask Upgrade. And today, Ask Upgrade is brought to you by our friends over at Smile. And today, I want to talk to you about the PDF Pen family of products. PDF Pen equips you with everything you need for more powerful PDF editing. And with the PDF Pen family, you can get everything you need for more PDF mastery with PDF Pen for all of your devices and, of course, PDF Pen Scan Plus as well. If you already have PDF Pen for Mac OS, you will know that it is the ultimate PDF editing tool. It's your Swiss army knife for PDFs because it's the essential tool that you can take with you, right? Because you have PDF pen for iPad and iPhone, but when you get to use it, no matter what device you're using it on, it has all of the tools that you're ever going to need. You can add notes, comments, and cloud annotations to your PDF documents. You can fill out and sign interactive PDF forms all on the go. It doesn't matter what you want to do with a PDF, PDF Pen can help you do it. And with PDF Pen Scan Plus, you can add scanning and OCR to your mobile toolkit as well, making those dreaded tasks like scanning receipts and uploading them a total breeze. The latest release of PDF Pen has some great new features. You can reopen documents at the same window size and position as they were last closed. I'm sure that that would be a, f- a feature for John Syracuse. I'm sure he would love that. You can create PDFs, export them to Word and back to PDF again, which is great for me. I do this quite a lot when I receive contracts that they come to me in a Word document and I need to sign them. And like, how, how do you sign a Word document? Well, you use PDF Pen to do it. You can set custom keyboard shortcuts in PDF Pen or PDF Pen Pro as well on the Mac. You can also add books marks to your files so you can easily get back to them when you need to. If you've been thinking about going paperless, now is the time to do it. Break the cycle of scanning, printing, signing, and faxing documents. Get the PDF Pen family today and get more from your PDF editing. Add text and graphics, make corrections. It doesn't matter what you want to do. PDF Pen can do it. And I love PDF Pen 3 for iOS because it now integrates with files, which I'm so happy about. So I can get Dropbox files from Dropbox, sign them, and they just save in place. It's like a wonderful new world on iOS, uh, which at some point we're going to talk about on this show. We need, want to see more apps come out, and then we're gonna we're gonna deep dive into iOS a little bit more, right, Jason? We're gonna have to do that. Anyway, yeah. see what the PDF Pen family can do for you. Get everything you need for more powerful PDF editing by going to smilesoftware.com/upgrade. Thank you so much to Smile for their continued support of this show with the great PDF Pen product suite, the PDF Pen family. Thank you so much to Smile for their support. Okay. 
It is time for hashtag Ask Upgrade. So you can send in your questions as always with the hashtag Ask Upgrade, and we'll get to them at the end of the show. And these tend to be our technical questions. And today we're starting off with Lennart. And Lennart asks, is it a matter of time until Apple builds a Qi charger into the iMac display or like into the stand, you know, the little foot that's on the iMac or the external displays that could maybe allow us to charge our magic mouse, a keyboard or phone? That would be a nice place to put one. Right in the little foot there. What do you think? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it would be nice whether they would do it or not. I think it would be a nice thing to have. I'm sure it would be nice whether Apple would build, because keep in mind then that that piece of metal now needs to be a piece of hardware, like electronic hardware. Mm-hmm. And they have to connect it when the foot is attached. You know, they, they have to have power. And it would be thick, right? Yeah. And then they're putting it in every one expecting that people will use it mm. i think i think it's not likely personally rajiv asked in ios 11 how can you tell if an app is universal on the app store so the the universal badge has a little plus sign right which show you it was universal i think that's gone now but there are ways it's actually better than ever before in the new app store so on any device on any ios device there is a label underneath the screenshots that says what platforms. So it will say like offers iPhone, Apple Watch, uh, offers uh, iMessage App Store, Sticker Pack or whatever. It has all of them there. Whatever the the device, whatever this application can be supported on, it has it all listed. And then you can also tap on that and see screenshots for each version of the application on all of the platforms. So that's all there within those new screens, which is really great. I love those new App Store listing pages. Mm-hmm. I think they They're look really good. good, really good. Having all of the uh, the reviews, like I like the fact that the reviews are a number now. That makes more sense to my brain. Um, I like that you can see what like everything else that a developer has. It's all laid out so much cleaner. I really like the new App Store a lot. Um, and the, 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 the pages are uh, for each application, each developer are nice, nice additions. Benjamin mm-hmm. wants to know, Jason, how to pronounce correctly the new file formats for images and videos on iOS and macOS? Uh, well, it is clearly Hyph and Hevik. Oh, and no. you should always say them that way. Hyph <laughs> and Hevik. Hef and Hevik. Hef is also Hef or Hyph and Hevik or Hevik. No, it's Heef. Heef. Apple insists Heef. That's like what they Heath, say, Heath. Heath. So mm-hmm. guess, <laughs> sure. And H-E-V-C, read the letters. Right. I go back to my English classes, right? Heath, Heathcliff. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, that's me. Okay, so Heath and H-E-V-C. It's like, like, a, like a Heath bar. Okay. I don't know what they are, but... Uh, you don't know Heath. what a Heath... Heath, Heath nope. Like, uh, okay. How about, uh, like, if you're out in the countryside mm-hmm. on the Heath? Yeah, like Heathcliff. It's in the mall. Anyway, Heath... Uh, is yeah. it Heath? Heath, right? With an F. Heath. Heath. Heath with an F. H-E-V-C. Okay, so I'm pleased I asked this question because <laughs> okay. now Chris has a question about those. Can uh, can Chris wants to know, Jason, can you please co- explain compatibility related to Heath and H-E-V-C photos when sharing or backing up to a Mac or PC? Boy, can I. <laughs> uh, I wrote a whole article in Macworld about it that I'll link in the show notes. Um, basically, um, the device should detect what your compatibility is 
and with Heath and HEVC and we'll transcode um, on the fly. Okay. So if you're using, if you're running Sierra and you try to import photos shot on an iPhone 8 with HEVC and Heath photos and videos, um, when you download them, they will come out cross as JPEGs and H.264s. And it will do the conversion for you. And it's doing, there's a setting to turn that off and give you your originals regardless. But what it's going to try to do is be compatible. Um, So Apple wants this to be invisible. If you're on a system that it knows, because it knows what it's connecting to, this works for um, AirDrop too and other sharing. Like if it knows for certain you can see a heath file, it'll send you the heath file. If it doesn't know for certain, it won't. It'll send you a JPEG. With Photos app, then, if I turn on Heath on my iPhone, what what does my Mac get on Sierra? Like, what does it get? <laughs> uh, it gets a uh, a preview image that's uh-huh. a JPEG that I forget what they call that. Um, Apple has a word for it. It's the derivative preview. Okay. Say. It's not editable. There'll be a little symbol oh. when you go in to, to view it, that oh, a little sense. alert symbol that says not editable, and you can't edit it. However, here's a, here's a cute thing that the Apple has done. If um, every Mac on your, um, a- attached to your Apple ID is not yet on High Sierra, Hi. it will just sync... A, uh, a compatible version instead. Oh. oh my God, that's so confusing though. Well, no, but it, it's confusing in the details, but in life, it should actually work okay. And the idea here is if you don't have High Sierra yet, it's not going to sync High Sierra only files to iCloud Photo Library because it knows you can't do anything with them. But if you do have a Mac running High Sierra, one is all that's required, then it will. Okay. So it's trying to do its best to never send you something you can't edit somewhere. But yeah, if you've got a Mac, like I've got my Mac that stores all my photos on it and it's running Sierra. And then I've got my iMac and it's running High Sierra. And on the High Sierra Mac, I can take those Heath files and I can edit them. Okay. On the Mac that stores them, that's running Sierra, it sees them. It will show me that preview, but mark it as being uneditable. It actually is, since it's set to download all the files, it has downloaded that Heath file in the background and put it in its library, but it can't do anything with it because it's an incompatible format. So it's trying to do all the right things. This is one of those cases where I think if you don't pay attention to it, it's all fine. But if you're one of those <laughs> don't people, look at and, <laughs> and our listeners are these people, and we are don't these look people directly who are at like, the Heath. but wait, what about this? What about that? What about this? What about that? Then it's like, all right, let me explain what about all those things. But I think if you're not paying attention and you're just like, do, 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 take a picture, there it is, I think you won't notice it. I think, it, I think it'll just all kind of work right. Because that, I think Apple's done a very good job of trying to anticipate all of these things. Um, if you're obsessed with never wanting the transcoded versions, then yeah, you're, you're going to want to either set the setting that always trans- transfers the originals, which is in the settings on iOS, and you're going to want to update a Mac somewhere. If you use Photos, you're going to want to update a Mac somewhere to High Sierra just so that you can see those files. Because Apple has chosen, chosen, it's their choice, not to do something to update uh, Sierra to support those file formats. I'd imagine other apps will. I'd imagine that like Acorn or Photoshop or something like that will eventually support those file formats and those might actually work on Sierra. But Apple has said, nah, 
that's a high Sierra thing. You got to update in order to see it. If you double click otherwise in the finder or do a quick look, it's just like not there. It doesn't work. Dylan asked, I don't have a 4K TV. I have no plans to get one. I currently have a third gen Apple TV. Is there any reason not to just go get the fourth gen Apple TV? So the fourth gen is not the 4K, right? I'm thinking correctly in that one. Fourth gen is the previous Apple TV, the one you can still buy that's cheaper. Um, I recommend getting that one. If you have no plans to get a 4K TV, the 4K Apple TV is useless to you. It'll be faster, but I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't. Unless unless you plan to get one, right? If you plan to get one in the next couple of years and you need a new Apple TV now, then sure, get it and... I, you know, and then you'll have it and it'll work with your new TV when you buy it. But there's, if you have no plans to get a 4K TV, then you don't need the 4K Apple TV. Okay, so that is hashtag AskUpgrade for this week. As I said, you can send in your questions to us with the with the hashtag AskUpgrade and they go into another lovely sheet. I have many sheets. They have many hashtags that pull in lots of information uh, and then we can uh, we can answer your questions on a future episode of the show. At this point, we are going to fire off the spoiler horn right now, I think. I'm just going to do it now for fun, uh, because after this break, we're going to... We yeah, we have a break first. Well, I want to fire it now. I have some real-time follow-up Okay. from Joe Steele, who wants to... It's a real-time correction for you. They didn't lower the price of the old Apple TV. It still costs what it costs. They just added a new 4K uh, Apple TV that's more expensive. There you go. There. <laughs> Thanks, Apple. Good to know. Yep. Good to know. So... Uh, we're going to talk about Encapsula now, but then we have uh, Terminator 2 with Mike at the Movies, so the spoiler horn will lead me in. And I want to take a moment to thank our friends over at Encapsula for supporting this week's episode. Encapsula have the website security tools and content delivery network that you need to make your website safer, faster, and more reliable. You need this stuff because websites can be attacked every single day. Criminals will use botnets to scrape website content. They're going to try and smash into databases like a T-1000 and bring sites down with denial-of-service attacks. Encapsula's network holds 3 terabits per second of on-demand scrubbing capacity and can process 30 billion attacks per second. This is why Encapsula's network has successfully defended some of the largest website attacks on record. If you're attacked, Encapsula's powerful CDN ensures that your content is delivered to your customers fast. You don't want people bailing on your site when they come to it. And with Encapsula, they wouldn't have to because no one would even know that something bad was happening. And you can see any attacks as they're happening on the fly and adjust your security policies along with them. It's all in their wonderful dashboard that they have. As a listener of this show, you can get one whole month of service for free. Just go to Encapsula.com slash upgrade. That's I-N-C-A-P-S-U-L-A dot com slash upgrade. You'll find out more about Encapsula service here and claim your free month as well. Thank you so much to Encapsula for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, I need to get my other notebook now, Jason, because we're going to talk about Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Okay, do you want to? I had some. I had some real difficulties today, Jason. Yeah, couldn't find the movie. Oh, it's it's readily available on the U.S. iTunes Store. Is it? Oh yeah. Like, have you checked within the last couple of days? You know, I, because I, I, I literally like bought it last week. <laughs> so frustrated. It's not on iTunes here. Every other Terminator movie is. I think I know why, though, because it's just been in cinemas. They huh. did a 3D uh, re-release of Terminator 2 oh boy. Yeah. at the end of August. 
Um, and I think that is why it has been. It was unable. I was unable to find it to buy or stream anywhere on the internet today. There are there are three different versions of it available on the US iTunes Store right now. Absolutely nothing in the UK. Every other Terminator movie is there except Terminator Two. So hmm. I did some googling, and unfortunately, I had to come across some website that was just streaming it. Like it was uh, just there. There was nothing I could do because I <laughs> I had today to watch the movie and I usually yeah. don't have a problem because we pick movies that are like twenty or thirty years old, so it tends to not be an issue. Um but it was an issue today, so I had to I had to do that. Um Casey List ended up coming through with a with a Plex version for me, but I'd, uh, I was already halfway through the movie at that point. This is a long movie. This is a longer movie than I was expecting. It's a, like two hours and forty minutes. I was not expecting that. But there's a, I mean, there's a special edition that adds some scenes, which is maybe the one that you got. Who knows? But I saw a movie that was like two hours and something. It was two hours and change. Yeah, long movie. Two two and a half hours. Yeah, it's that's too long. It, the, the regular edition is shorter. Okay. Well, I saw the this one. What for, All right. for, for whatever. Um. I will say that I really like this movie. Um, it is as big of an action blockbuster movie as you can get. Like it is pedal to the pedal to the metal all the time, uh, constantly for this movie. Like yes. there are just well, huge car traces and explosions, like in the first fifteen minutes. Yeah, it, it has a huge opening, and then it stops for a little while to get you the character and. Like there's a whole section sure. that is like yeah. characters and and all of that, and then there's the huge action piece at the end. Like it's interestingly structured in that way, where it really is just like huge action, twenty five minutes of characters or half an hour of characters, and then back to huge action for the rest of the movie. I will wonder though. I'll, I wonder if you know we've done these for quite a while now. We've we've watched many movies uh, together, but not together. Can you guess the thing, the main thing that I didn't like about this movie? Huh. Uh the the CGI Terminator? No, actually, I thought the CGI was really good. Um in like, Oh, it it, it is and it held groundbreaking up. in its way. Like mm-hmm. really really held up. Um and I was the really kid? pleased with that. The kid. Okay. Edward Furlong's performance as John Connor, yeah. I really didn't like it. I I thought it was a not good performance. I know that like child Acting can always be difficult, especially when they have a role which is as important to a movie as John Connor's role. Like, he is in basically every single scene, all of the important moments, like, he is there. Um, I didn't like him. Like, I just thought that he was an annoying kid. Yeah. Uh, when I think I'm supposed to relate to him. Um, but I also just didn't like the performance. Um I just didn't. It took me out of a few scenes. Uh, there were multiple instances where I'm like, oh, this kid's really annoying. Like a scene which I expect is supposed to be like, you know, fantastic. The Asta La Vista baby moment, right? When he teaches him that. <laughs> and it's like, oh my God, this kid is so annoying. Like everything he's yeah. saying, the way he's saying it, like that, I didn't like that. I, I didn't like his performance. But overall, like I did, I did think that th- this was a great movie. Like this was what I was hoping it to be. Like this big action movie. Um, there are just, there are funny, like, I really love the way in a stupid, like, in a really stupid way that they, they set up why Arnie's now the hero. Like, it's so dumb. I reprogrammed me. Like, I'm like, yeah. come on. I mean, what more, <laughs> what more do you need? I mean, what I know. I, I think but... w- w- I, the moment when James Cameron thought, 
and presumably it was him or somebody told him either way like here's what we do in terminator 2 we send back a terminator the terminator program to to save john connor from a worse terminator who's now mm-hmm. trying to come and kill him and like such a good idea because that's that's what makes this movie work is that yeah. now schwarzenegger still the ruthless killing machine but uh, but now he's got to take orders from Big friendly giant. john connor Yep, and and uh, and that that leads to some great moments. Like he tells he t- uh, John Connor realizes that uh, the kid realizes he can give him orders, right? Which is fun, and he does yep. he, he does terrible things with that momentarily, and causes those two guys who are trying to save him to be horribly maimed. That's a tough one, but um, <laughs> he. Uh, but then it does lead to some amazing moments where he's like, "No, you can't kill people," and then he he shoots. He shoots people in the legs instead, and he's like, "What are you doing?" And he says, "They'll live." It's just like, "Oh my god, no!" Because yeah, he's so, I, still the Terminator, I right? I want to say, I love, I, I love, love the fact that the movie is this way, and that like the this like the Terminator is now a good guy. But like, I really kind of just like laughed when they the way that they just do with it, like, ah, reprogram me. He reprogrammed me. <laughs> I, it really made i was just like okay i mean that what is more do you need to, way to get there but it was it yeah. just I, I just i thought it was very funny and well, like i wrote down be- in my notes lol merchandise was what <laughs> the, i wrote the down. beginning <laughs> the beginning of the movie is trying very hard to make you wonder like yeah, is really the Termina- is schwarzenegger there to kill who's good who's bad right like i really uh-huh. like that setup and i imagine if you don't know anything about this movie like especially when it came out like that was a really tense moment like oh my gosh already like he's already going to kill john Connor. like and I'm, i like the setup of that like the whole thing of them meeting in the hallway um and then all of that was really good and i liked it yeah yeah and there, there's the um the action set piece in the mental institution is pretty amazing. I mean, the 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 one there, there's the early one where he meets John, where they're they're at the mall and then they're going through like the L.A. River and all of that. That's pretty that's pretty good and fun with the motorcycles and the big rig and all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, from for my money, the one that is the most amazing is the uh, at the mental institution because it's the like multiple characters are doing multiple things. Uh, she's escaping. They're coming to the, the institution. The bad Terminator is coming there. They're, you know, she's got to make her escape. But then, then as soon as she's going there, she sees him. Um, but then the bad Terminator is also there and then they have to run and like, and that goes on for a very long time. And it's just all exciting and action packed and just, uh, it's very well done incredibly well done yeah i i really like the opening to this i mean and of course then it goes into like this crazy um action sequence right the um what are they storm drains or something what what, what are that's they the, that's the la that's the la river believe it or not that's what oh, yeah. they call the la river but there's not much it's just concrete and all that but that's that's where they're chasing he gets out of the out of the mall basically where he's at the arcade have you seen this boy says uh robert patrick the, the the movie that made Robert Patrick famous as the uh, evil Terminator. And he does a good job. He's basically like your stock policeman, evil policeman, I basically. Love that he who's keeps the policeman uniform robot. for the whole yeah. movie, right? Like he yeah. can wear anything he wants, but like just keeps the police. I mean, I know that it makes sense in a lot of scenarios to wear it, but like when right. they're in like the warehouse at the end, right? And it's just like they're all fighting. It's like he's still wearing the policeman's uniform, which is like, okay. It's like- <laughs> Why not? And the uniform's part of him, right? That's one of the things that I think is really smart and consistent about this movie is that he can't make machines. So like he has to he he duplicates the security guard at the at the mental institution, but he 
um, has to take his gun. And then he tries to go through the bars and the gun, the gun doesn't come through with him. And he has to like pull it through the bars instead. Yeah. It's like, it's very consistent about the rules of like what the, all the liquid metal Terminator can do and can't do. Like, which I think is good because you want to have, right. But that's it. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. He can't, and he can't fire from a distance. If he wants to attack you from a distance, he has to like get a gun or something because he mm-hmm. can't do that. And that's, again, if you're going to have fantasy characters like this, giving them some rules to follow is always really um, always really useful and it, like and, it's uh, like the, yeah. the the liquid metal that he's made of is not regenerating like if he loses some of it he's lost some of it and he would be smaller well, like he can't grow it well right so he has to go when they when they shoot part of him off it like bubbles back to yeah. his like shoe he has to collect point, it he has to get which, it back yeah which sets up that scene later in the movie which is maybe my favorite like special effects scene when he's frozen in the liquid nitrogen and he's like walking forward and it's just pieces of him breaking off it's like, I yeah. love that. That was so Isn't that cool. Great? And then he's just and getting like, oh, shorter. We got him. Yeah. And yeah. they shoot him into, and he breaks into pieces and it's like, ah, oh, we win. And it's like, nope, he is thawing. This movie, <laughs> like, it does, does suffer from that in the same way that the original Terminator does. In the same way that a lot of superhero movies do, where it's like, how many times can you kill the bad guy? Right? Like, we can kill him like six times but like every time it just gets stronger you know like that stuff gets a bit frustrating to me after a while right it's like when they're in that like the, like the 45 minutes that they spend in like the, the the final scene where it's just like they keep finding new ways to kill both of them right like yeah. the terminate and get smashed to literal pieces but oh he has a power reserve right and it's just like how many times will these characters die like to the end i honestly thought that the end of the movie was gonna be like shredder and teenage mutant ninja turtles type deal when he like his hand comes out of that vat at the end is what i was <laughs> expecting right like he was never dead at all and that's how they set mm. up the third one like that was kind of what i was expecting to happen it's like that that stuff it does grind on me a little bit but i i did like the the final action sequence more um in terminator 2 than in the original terminator like yeah it, it was it was there was just more stuff going on and terminator versus terminator is intrinsically more interesting than terminator versus human yeah, well, they, they, it amps it up a little bit, yeah. although they go back and forth, right? Then he he starts to go for the people because he's incapacitated the Terminator, but then mm-hmm. the Terminator, you know, Schwarzenegger comes back um, because he'll always, be, he'll be back. Um, and yeah, that there's a lot of interesting stuff in there. I do I do laugh at the ludicrousness of it, of the setting where it's like, first off, convenient liquid nitrogen truck, right? Of course it's a liquid <laughs> nitrogen truck. And then where are they? They're in the steel mill where all the steel workers have run away, but they've left all of the equipment still going and moving and stuff um, so that they can have a molten place in order to drop it. Although that one, at least, I kind of believe the Terminator was going toward that he felt like that was, that was his ultimate out was I need yeah. to go someplace where I can melt down this guy and i so I, i'm willing to accept that but it's still like you know so often the the climactic fight scene in a movie is set in the steam factory where it's just like atmospheric and lots of equipment um and it doesn't really make sense that that's where they are but um but still yeah it's 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 good um it, I, I like this movie a lot. I hadn't seen it in a while. And um, and this really was a definitive summer blockbuster of whatever, 1991, I think. Um, it is it is a definitive, like, this was huge. And nobody had seen the first movie, right? Everybody saw this first. The first movie was very obscure. And this was a gigantic, everybody saw the Terminator, or Terminator 2 in 1991. And the CGI is really good. 
of the of the Metal Terminator. They leaned into the fact that they couldn't really do textures in CGI very well. So he, he doesn't have textures. He's like a silver blob. It's like perfect. It's exactly what they were capable of doing. So they have him be a murderous silver blob. And he's scary, right? He doesn't really talk. Mm-hmm other than to to get questions and information. And he seems indestructible, like you can fire bullets and, and shotguns at him, and he just kind of reforms. And so you, the whole movie, he just brings menace. If he finds you, how do you even get away from him? And that that I think that that's really powerful, too. Um, and I really like the time travel part of this, too. I'm wondering, since you like Back to the Future so much, I really like how they go, they find the guy who invented Skynet, who doesn't realize that he's doing it. Um and they go to his house, basically, and Sarah Connor terrorizes him, and then the Terminator and John have to stop her. Um, but I like I like that whole I like that whole part of the of the story that they find the creator. And did you notice the bootstrap paradox? It's one of the best things in this movie too. Is the Terminator Skynet is created because of the piece of hardware yeah. that the original Terminator left behind, yep. which was sent from Skynet. So it's a completely circular. Uh, story, which I just, I mean, I love it. It doesn't make any sense. I love it. Yeah, I, I like it, but it is silly. Right? Like those right? sort of time travel he creates things himself. are yeah. frustrating, but they they can be really well, like I think it's well done here, but just like that, that conceit is frustrating that like something didn't exist, but it exists because it existed, but nobody made it. It's like, I don't, it's very, like it's, I know. It, it sends you through a loop, right? Because it's like, how was he there in the first movie? <laughs> That's right. Right, like it's it's very confusing, but it's good. Um, there was a little bit of exposition about all of that, which which just gets a bit difficult at points. Yeah, because it's like sometimes in trying to explain it, you actually make it more confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that. I like Dyson. Um, uh, that is a good character. That, yeah, uh, the guy Joe Morton who plays Dyson. He's really likable. He doesn't do what a lot of scientists do in movies like this which is when you reveal that he is in the future, his thing that he's creating is going to, um, is going to be just going to destroy the world. They tend to be like mad scientists who are evil themselves. And they're just, they know that their thing is evil because they're evil and they're, they will fight you. And in this movie, first off, he's portrayed as human the whole way. He's obsessed. He's got a wife, he's got kids. He needs to take them to the, to the water park. Um, it's quite horrifying when Sarah goes there. I want to talk about that more in a second but when, when she goes there and, and shoots him and is trying to kill him and the kids are trying to protect him it's like very human portrayal of him and when they sit him down and there's that scene with a voiceover where they say we, we told him what was going to happen he's very upset and then his response is let's destroy my life's work mm-hmm. we can't let this happen and I love that like he he's in and in the end he sacrifices himself to ensure that the um, after well, I mean, he's shot many times he's probably going to die anyway but he makes sure that his entire life's work is blown up so that this uh, this uh, Armageddon doesn't come to pass and I don't know I felt like that's pretty rare for that kind of scientist character usually they're portrayed as being um, bad in some way fundamentally bad and he's a decent guy who didn't know what he was doing when he was making this stuff or didn't think about it yeah um i wanted to to before we get to that part i want to talk about sarah for a moment yes because they do something with her that i really like and i thought they were going to screw up which is the way she deals with and relates to arnold schwarzenegger to the terminator so first off, when she first sees him, she just loses her mind, right? Which is like the right way yep. to do it because the last time she had seen this person, 
this person was trying to kill her and has sent right. her th- into a mental like into a psychiatric hospital like she is there because of everything that happened because naturally nobody will believe her right because the government has covered it up and no one is you know and they, these two agencies are not related in any way right like they just think that she has lost her mind and is saying all of this stuff and etc etc but then like the the risk is like oh okay so they have she's been saved by the terminator she's now going to love the terminator but no she tries to kill him right she tries to destroy the computer chip yeah which is a cutscene that's not in the special edition um oh but okay but it, or it's in the special edition it's not in the original um where she she's going to smash the computer chip and all of that um i like that scene because it it furthers her character and also something that i really noticed this time that i guess i've noticed in the past but i really noticed this time is this movie does something really interesting with sarah she is really broken mm-hmm. she is unsurprisingly Right, but she's really broken. She spent her time with the survivalists. She got institutionalized. She's been away from her son. She's had her whole life uprooted. If you think back to that waitress in the beginning of the first movie, she is now a lean, mean fighting machine, right? And she's obsessed with Armageddon. She has visions. She has dreams of the end of the world. And yep. she's got to try to protect protect it, her son and, and save the world. And she's been institutionalized. Like, she's messed up. And what I really like is... I don't love Edward Furlong's performance, but I like him later in the movie when he's put in opposition to Sarah. And I like what they do with a character, especially where he's the grown up, like he's showing that he's a leader. And in that scene, which is cut from the original movie, but is restored in the special edition, he basically says, you say I'm going to be this great leader in the future and you won't listen to me now. We need him. And, and he's been spending time with the Terminator and knows that he is a, a valuable ally. Mm-hmm. And she's just blinded with her rage about the last movie, basically, and all of everything that's transpired since then. And he's the grown-up. She's just an agent of destruction at that point because her life has been so uh, messed up by what's happened. And he's the one who is going to... It's very clear in that moment, he's the one who's growing up and becoming a leader and um, and is going to save the world and needs to be saved. And I, I really like that. I really yeah. like that Sarah Sarah doesn't get broken out and become the, su- the superhero who can save her son with the help of the Terminator. She's an action hero here too, but she's the action part. And the, the kind of more grown-up decision-making part is her son, is John, which is, you got to see a flash of that, right? If he's just a dumb kid then why is he going to grow up to be a leader? And I think in those scenes with his mom, um, when they go and they stop her from killing Dyson, um, you're seeing him being the grown-up because she's she's just so bent on violence and, and, and revenge and protection and all of that that she's not thinking as clearly as he is. Um, so... I like that. I like that scene where she's going to smash the CPU of the Terminator and John. I, I really like that John talks her out of it, and it, and it fits in the in the original version. He just says because they're supposed to like turn on his learning. In the original version, he says, "Oh yeah, but um, yes, I can learn." <laughs> and the special edition is like, "No, I can't." They turn they turn the learning off, and they have to take the chip out and turn the learning on, and then he starts to learn the yeah, awesome I like Vista that. baby. I like, like that a lot. Like I like that scene. I'm pleased it was there because if I wouldn't have seen that scene, I would have been frustrated by like she just is totally okay with him, right? Like, I feel like it needed that, like, for, like, just a furthering of the idea that she doesn't trust him because she shouldn't because that's, it's, like, is the same person, isn't the same person, right? Time, uh, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, but, like, she doesn't see it Mm -hmm. any other way, 
right? She's she all she knows is like she had to watch that face be crushed in a in a hydraulic press. It seemed like he wouldn't die, and now he's back, right? Just exactly. from that a logical standpoint, it's like, oh no, he's back. How does he back? I thought I destroyed him. Yeah, and like now he's yep. got skin on him again, right? Like she should be, yeah. she should hate him, um, and so she never really seems to reconcile it, which is which I like. Um, like even like even at the end, like, or until the not, end, she doesn't super protest it though, right? Like, well, yeah, well, I, I so I I view that she comes to respect him as like her, he, you know, she has been refined. She's a Terminator, yeah, right for a cause. She has she has her life has narrowed down to she's an expert with weapons. She can get all these high explosives. Like that is what she is, and that's what he is. And they're both protecting John, and she mm-hmm. knows that that's what he's doing. So I feel like at the end, it's almost like this professional uh, respect that she has for him. As as a protector and as yeah. a uh, an agent of violence on on the force of good, but yeah, she has no fondness for him because it's the face of the monster, right? That. But there's that moment of like, as he's going, you need to lower me down into the molten lava, and and John doesn't want him to go, right? But she knows what needs to be done, and he knows what needs to be done. He knows she, he can count on her to do it, and that's that's that mutual respect that I, I I think it really works. It's a nice it's a nice trio. They they are. It actually reminds me. It's not quite like the trio in Star Trek, but it reminds me of that a little bit where you've got the because because like John with the Terminator is a little bit like Kirk and Spock in the sense that it's sort of a uh, mm-hmm. a, you know, logical doesn't understand your human emotions kind of guy. And then the the the, the very human is like, come on, you can laugh. And then I also like the the. You know, his relationship, John's relationship with Sarah, and then Sarah's relationship with the Terminator and Terminator's relationship with John. It's like a, it's a nice triangle of uh, of character interaction. I think it, it makes the, the characters much more interesting how they bounce off each other. Yeah, I think I enjoyed this more than Terminator. Um, oh, it's a way better movie than yeah. Terminator on so many yeah. different levels. Yeah, this is yeah. A, this is a, this was a really fun movie, and I liked a lot of the stuff that they did with it. I think they pushed it into interesting directions, um, and and overall, I think they they crafted something that's really good. Like it's just like a really so, good action movie of a great story and some really good like personal relationship stuff. So one of the things I wanted to ask you about is how did you feel about the ending? Because the ending here is it's a shot of like a. Um, uh, a, a, a road. It's actually a reused shot from earlier in the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, a voiceover, and she basically says, "Nobody knows what the future will hold." It's echoing a voiceover that happens earlier, um, and it sort of leaves it all like, did, "Have they changed the future? What you know? What have they done?" And it's just totally open ended. Like, who knows? We'll ri- have to write our own future. The end. Did you like that? Did you like that kind of open ended ending? It feels like it's the only thing that the characters could have known. Like, they have literally no idea if they've made any change at all. There's there's no way they can know. And so I think that it is the right way to end the movie if you're going to end it from the character's perspective. Like, I always thought I always thought it was weird that it's the shot of the road and the voiceover. And, and what I found out later is that there was an original ending, which is like... 40 years in the future and Sarah's an old lady and John is a senator and there's and she's watching kids playing in a playground and there is no Armageddon and everything's fine and they did it. Nah, I would have hated and James, that. And James Cameron decided, <laughs> decided, no, I want to leave this open-ended. It fits with the themes that you need, to make you, you need to make your own future and that the future isn't written. 
and also it would create yet more bootstrap paradoxes because now there's no ter- nobody to send the terminators back uh which is also funny but um uh, i'm i i agree i think this is the right ending my problem with it is knowing now what i know it explains why they reuse a scene of road <laughs> yeah because it's like it, as the last do? shot yeah. and it's like i wish because it obviously it happened so late in the process like all the effects were made that like the whole thing was done and scored and everything apparently and then cameron was like no nah, i don't like that ending we're going to change it and he couldn't shoot something new like mm-hmm. the like the first movie ends with her like going out she's going to be driving to mexico or whatever and there and the, and there's the you know there's a storm coming and all of that and that like that's a really good ending and this one that's the one one thing that sticks with me that I wish was better is I wish the end, I, I, I like the voiceover, but I wish it wasn't just, I mean, like literally it's the same shot from about 20 minutes before where, except they don't pan up. They cut it before it pans because they were trying to come up with something. And I'm not even sure that the, the shot before they may have inserted a voiceover there just to make it parallel the voiceover at the end. I don't know. So there's some weird stuff in it, but I still thematically, I like it. I like, I like it better that the road stretches on and who knows what will happen next. Perhaps there will be more sequels. There will. Um, but, uh, this is the, this is the end of the, uh, James Cameron with the original, you know, with the two original leads doing this. Mm-hmm. I will say news broke last week that they're going to make a Terminator movie that Linda Hamilton is going to be in. And that is her first appearance since this movie as Sarah Connor, which is kind of interesting. Um, mm. So I wonder if they will tread on ground sort of like the um, like the cut scene from this where they're in the future and things are, are, are maybe good, but there's still some force that's trying to attack them from the future or something who knows if it'll even come off but but this is the but but you don't need to watch terminator 3 i actually kind of like terminator 3 but you don't need to watch it like this is james cameron's take on it with these two actors and that's the end basically as far as as far as you should probably be concerned in terms of essential terminator because i like the open-endedness of it because in my mind at least in theory when they killed when the um the 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 scientist guy what was his name Dyson 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 that's it like the vacuum cleaner company um when he blew everything up like in theory the terminator should have disappeared like it was in my mind I was like why is he still here shouldn't that shouldn't this close the loop Right, like, but yeah, and but like it's already was, a bootstrap paradox, right? But it's so. like it's so confusing. But it's like so that's why I like the open endedness of it because it's like, well, that's why the Terminator stuck around because, the, you know, like it, even though they've done all of this stuff, it doesn't change the fact that they're still going to be there in the future. Uh, because right. it always felt like a stretch for me to be like, just this one guy was the only person who had any idea about this technology. Right, right, like, and that they hadn't they hadn't taken notes about it that are available as well. I mm-hmm. will without without uh, just uh, I'll tell you the premise of Terminator Three, okay. which is guess what? Now John Connor's a, a an adult and he's got a girlfriend, and um, I forget whether Sarah is dead or she's just off screen, but Linda Hamilton's not in it. But basically another super powered Terminator is sent back, and they send another Arnold Schwarzenegger model back to to protect him again and they just do it again and the idea is no it didn't work 
there are still things, you know, they are still finding ways to exist. And, and they push, I think, the premise in that movie, because it's 1997 is when Judgment Day is supposed to happen. So basically they say they pushed it back, but it still happens. And it's okay. like you get the idea that John Connor just can't escape this. Like you can de- delay it. Uh, you can't escape it. And I won't I won't reveal more about Terminator 3, but I kind of like it. There are parts of it. It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, and then they made other Terminator after that that I haven't seen and I don't know anything about. So that's it. That's Terminator. That's yeah. Mike at the Movies. Um, and we're done for Yay. this week. If you want to find our show notes, go to relay.fm slash upgrade slash 160. Uh, thanks again to our lovely sponsors, Mac Weldon, Encapsula, Blue Apron, and Smile. Uh, thank you for listening. If you want to find Jason's work online, Go to sixcolors.com. He is at J Snell on Twitter, J S N E L L. I am at iMike, I M Y K E, and uh, we'll be back next week. Um, until then, say goodbye, Jason Snell. We'll be back. Hasta la vista, Jason. <laughs> Adios. That's my Stephen Hackett impression. That was good. <laughs>